Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is exciting stuff. And the reason I'm preaching this is because these are life patterns. These are things that show us how to function in life. Have you noticed lately that we're getting all kinds of mixed signals about things? You know, do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? The social distancing thing, you know, how far away are we supposed to be from each other? What is six feet, you know? Uh, do I need to bring a measuring tape around everywhere? What, what, I saw stickers on the floor of a grocery store. This line said, six feet apart, no cash. And, and, and it's like everywhere you're turning, we're getting signals, you know. But they're kind of mixed signals, and sometimes the, they're contradictory. And so we're all trying to land on what are the right practices and procedures going forward in the set of circumstances we're dealing with. Well, let me tell you something about that's transcendent. Those things are important. We follow traffic signs. We pay attention to the green light, yellow light, red light. Even those signs that say, hey, there's an accident on the left lane, you know, and that kind of thing. Those, those are, I appreciate that those signals are out there. But I want to tell you the greatest roadmap to life is the Bible. And I want to read this to you from the book of Ephesians because this talks about how we believers are supposed to live. And it says, therefore, Paul the Apostle saying, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Let me tell you, you're called. He called you. They, it, God called Abraham by name. God called Moses. God called David. And just as realistically as he called those people, he's calling you. He's, you have a calling. And you respond to that calling, and you yield to it, and then God begins to download the steps and procedures on what his expectations are. And he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. It's a worthwhile life. Walk in a worthwhile way. What does it mean to walk? It's a Hebrew synonym for how to live, what to do. We're, we're always trying to figure out what to do. What do I do? We want to know what to do. And these verses articulate this so clearly. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 says, Walk worthy of God who has called you unto his own kingdom and glory. I'm telling you, when you're called out of darkness to walk in God's presence and walk in his kingdom and walk in his glory, I'm telling you, it's the highest and greatest and best opportunity that will ever be afforded us in our existence. It is eternal. It is significant. Walking in the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so... It says this later on in, in chapter 5 that we're always trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And so we want to walk in a manner that pleases him, that is deserving of him, that, that honors him. And it starts breaking it down into practicality. With all humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance. You know, earlier tonight we were praying, the musicians and some intercessory prayer people here, and a man spoke up and talked about, we need to tolerate each other's sensitivities. I looked over, I thought, that's the Holy Spirit, man. He, 
I hadn't talked to him. He hadn't talked to me. But I've been meditating on this verse all day. And, and actually for a while now, through, even through the last four months of this quarantine, the term tolerance, we're to show tolerance for one another in love. Now, tolerance doesn't mean we endorse everything. doesn't mean we like everything about situations. But what it does mean is, God, I want to discipline myself. And it proceeds with these other words and phrases and ideas actually charge us and strengthen us so that we can walk in tolerance. Humility is the opposite of arrogance and pride. We're to clothe ourselves with humility. And humility is not, it can be false humility. It's like, oh, no, no, I'm not. You know, false humility is a form of pride. But true humility is when we realize everything good comes from God and but for the grace of God go I. And when we walk in humility, it gets us out of arrogance. As, as soon as we embrace a humble heart where we humble ourselves, that's when God could really begin to use us. Humility, gentleness. David said, your gentleness has made me great. Some of the greatest people I know, the most powerful people I know, actually walk in a consistency of gentleness. They're called gentle giants. And in fact, uh, you know, I've known people that the bigger they are, the more powerful they are, the more capable they are. So many belts in, in a martial art uh, discipline or so much poundage they can bench press or you know, how, and I've known many uh, sports guys that are like 5% body fat, 250 pounds, 6'5". These big giant guys and, and very capable and powerful and sharp women that like have super educated minds. I, I've known people that were so skilled and powerful, gifted, talented, and had a humility about them, had a gentleness about them actually. That's a powerful thing. That's such a great thing. This is part of how we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Humility, gentleness. There's so much harshness we see right now. So much, uh, it's so caustic. Uh, so much impatience. But, but yet, we'll let patience have its perfect work. It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. And in patience, we possess our soul. Of course, patience is the opposite of impatience of being impulsive and demanding. You know, it's like, uh, uh, you know, the other day, my wife wanted to get me, she wanted me to get her a coffee. So, okay, I went into the store. They had taken out all the chairs and all the benches and everything. And they had, st they put stickers and lines on the floor. So there were like four people in there and there were four people behind the counter. And there was a lady up there that it just was taking a real long time. And then the lady in front of me, she had a mask on. And I put a mask on, too, because that's what she's supposed to do there. So uh, she turned around and looked at me, and I looked at her, and she, we caught eyes. And I smiled, you know, because like, you could still smile. I, I scrunched up my eyes and did her a good eye smile. And she didn't smile. She was not real happy. And so I said, hey, we're developing patience. And she said, my patience level is really low right now. I said, apparently mine is, too. So we get to fill it back up. And then we turned around and waited what seemed like another, you know, Eternity it was probably about two and a half minutes. But in one of those places, that's a law, that's a lifetime, you know. So we got our, she ordered a coffee real fast. I ordered my coffee real fast, just out of principle. Because it's like we were already judging that lady, being upset about how long she was taking. So we were not going to do anything 
along that line. We were going to show how awesome we were. And we did to each other, you know. And then I went outside and I said, you know, sometimes I've been in line at the ATM and, and I think the people behind me think I'm refinancing my house. And, and then she goes, yeah, I thought of that too. So we were both dealing with the opportunity to become patient and tolerant and, and have some humility and not be whiners. And, it, you know, it was, a, of course, a ridiculous little situation. Like, what's the big deal? But actually, did you notice how irksome and how agitating things have kind of gotten in a lot of ways? I think this is really important that we go back and hunker down on these things and remember how to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we are called. We were called before all of this, and we'll be called long after all this has changed. But these things are stabilizing. These things are eternally true. Colossians 1.10 says, Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Faith pleases God. Humility pleases God. He's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God is pleased with faith and patience. God is pleased with faith and patience. So I joked about it because I needed to deflect with humor because that lady was bugging me. And wherever you are, why did you take so long? But yet, nevertheless, hallelujah. Count it all joy when you encounter various temptations, tests, and trials. Knowing, listen, here we go. Here's what it does. I got to read this to you in James. Let endurance have its perfect result. The King James says patience, so that you may be complete and perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let patience have its perfect result. In the the New American Standard, it says let endurance have its perfect result. Did you know God is developing you in patience and endurance? And so Ephesians 4.1, it says walk worthy of the vocation. They're just specific responsibilities that come with our calling. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance with one another, tolerance. And this is what somebody said so many years ago, but for the grace of God go I. I was talking with one of my sons about self-righteousness, the temptation to judge. We were reading uh, together Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged for by your standard of measure you know, it'll be, if you, how can you take the speck out of your friend's eye if you, don't have the, if you don't take the beam out of your own eye? I'm telling you, that's really important where Jesus wouldn't have bothered to say it. And this is really important, or Paul wouldn't have been bothered to lay this out like this. And he said in verse 3, well, let's just stick with tolerance for a minute. We need to be merciful. One of the ways we could do it is by being considerate. There's so much inconsiderate behavior in the world. It's a sense of entitlement. People begin to ignore what people are dealing with and people are going through. You need to, we need to learn to walk a mile in people's shoes, you know, kind of relate a little bit, have some empathy. Now, the deep thoughts of Jack Handy years ago, he said this, you should walk a mile in somebody else's shoes because you will be a mile away and you will have their shoes. And that is not what that means, but I think that's funny. He, he totally turned that around. But what the concept of it is, is figure out how to consider what somebody's really feeling and going through. That takes effort. That's called empathy. It's, it's rooted deeply in compassion. That's where God-shaped tolerance comes from. Tolerance isn't everything's okay, because not everything is okay. Sin is sin. Righteousness is righteousness. Evil is evil. Good is good. 
Bad behavior is bad behavior any way you look at it. But yet God wants us to exhibit a patience, a gentleness, a humility. I have a friend whose job requires that he get out on the front lines. And he got some things, he got words slung at him. He got a stone slung at him. And he just has to stand. Can't retaliate. That's hard. Now, he's a professional and he's trained. And he's a human being that has feelings, but he didn't let his feelings take control and didn't go volatile. And what this is suggesting to us, in fact, what this is commanding of us is that we walk in the discipline of humility. We walk in the discipline of gentleness as opposed to aggression. We walk in the discipline of patience as opposed to blowing a gasket within 10 seconds of everything, being demanding and showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent, look at this verse, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, what is the word diligent in the King James? In verse three, chapter four, it's a different term from 400 years ago, but it's pertinent for today. Ephesians 4, 3 in the King James. Endeavoring, be diligent, modern vernacular, endeavoring. And uh, the only true foundation for any Christian endeavor is prayer and the word. And we can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is your endeavor? What do you endeavor to accomplish in life? Well, Do you want to embrace your calling? I do. Do you want to see it come to pass? Sure. Paul was able to say at the end of his life, I fought the good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Now, for those of us who feel maybe a constant nagging of disappointment, like life isn't the way I thought it was going to be. I'm not where I projected that I would be at this particular stage or age in my life. None of us anticipated where we've been at for the last several months on the whole planet. So I think it's safe to say we're all in this together and as we stand on these promises and we obey God and we walk with this, we win. We win in overcoming a lesser approach. Humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent, endeavoring to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So it's the keeping of this truth that causes the world to recognize the church is a different enterprise than any other institution. By this shall all men know that we are his disciples, that we love one another. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance. Let your household be a a germination bed for that. Charity starts in the home. I mean, you guys have been quarantined together. I mean, you you get to work this out. You get to work out your salvation with fear and trembling and work it out together like a bunch of cats in a bag, you know? And uh, But hallelujah. We're gonna be diligent to, and to endeavor, make it our commitment, make it our ambition to be pleasing to him. Our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And this pleases God. Now, I want to just go down a list of scriptures because it starts with salvation. 
Romans chapter 6, verse 4, here are things that characterize our walking in a manner worthy of our calling. These are characteristics of a believer's life, a believer's walk. And I love this verse, so I want to start with this one. It says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Wow! If any man or woman or child is in Christ, he, she, they, or them have become a new creation. The old things pass away, all things become new. He's raised us up to walk in newness of life, and that is a bigger deal than we even can comprehend. Newness of life is better than stagnation and staleness. Newness of life, he makes all things new. It says he'll make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He, he said in the Revelation, he makes all things new. Be a new heaven and a new earth. But just the idea that a crusty old sinner can become a new creation is an amazing thing worth exploration, worth examination, worth study, and then worth taking action upon that we could actually be raised up to walk in newness of life. That's not just for a little while. That's not just for the start. That's for the long haul. <laughs> That's for the long haul. And here's how you do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, and the musicians were singing it. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. And, and it says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, this isn't denial about the physical laws of the universe. In fact, true believers have a deep appreciation for physics and for, for all the functions of the natural world. We just happen to understand that it all emanates out of the supernatural. And I even heard a guy apologize recently for, for sounding a metaphysical when he was trying to make a, a comment. It's like in the secular society, you feel you almost made to feel ashamed of acknowledging a spiritual component. And, and I really like this guy, special human being. You know, I saw him interviewed on television, and he was apologizing for making almost sounding metaphysical. It's like there's this peer pressure around him that it just has to all be, you know, just five physical senses evidence. It's like, yeah, listen, man, there is a God, and everything that we see is made out of him. From him emanates all this wonder. It's a, he's a miracle worker. This didn't come out of nothing. Something can't come out of nothing. Something has to come out of something. And I, I propose something came out, everything came out of someone. Mm, that's good. I've never said that before. I've already forgotten it, so I'm going to have to listen to the message later on. But it was profound. Write it down. Tell me what I said. Everything came from someone. This whole idea of nothingness producing nothingness, I find very implausible. And my wife just said, yeah, and I agree, it takes more faith to believe that than the notion or the concept, the reality, that there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has called us and prefers that we walk by faith and not by sight, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And I remember out at our patio, talking to a gentleman who said, I was an atheist. I said, wow, yeah. He goes, no, you don't understand. I was an atheist. I'm not anymore. Uh, our waiter the other day for our anniversary, 
wearing a mask, real wonderful personality. He said he was in manufacturing, and then he got, and he's just really good at being a waiter. And we were early, so there weren't very many tables, so he just really pampered us. He, he, he took really great care of us. And I looked at him and said at the end of the dinner, uh, we thanked him, told him he did a great job, and then we told him Jesus loved him. He said, you know, three years ago, something happened to me. He said, I was just not a believer. He said, but something, and it's amazing because these masks, you know, we don't get the benefit of, uh, you know, like in a loud room sometimes, I'll try to read lips, you know, and it's like, excuse me, what did you say? It's like, what, you know, what do we do now? And, uh, but man, there was no mistaking looking in this guy's eyes that there had been something that had happened to him. And it is wonderful, and I love it when people come out of unbelief, disbelief, doubt, and recognize the wonder of walking in newness of life, the wonder of walking by faith and not by sight. Again, we're talking about walking in a manner worthy of your calling. Hey, you're called with a heavenly, holy calling. You're called to draw near to God and walk with God. You're called to be different than you were before. And that's what I noted on that, that waiter That's what I saw on the guy out on the patio at church. I was at a grocery store, and a guy was walking out the door, and I was doing these TV spots, and one of them, God prompted me to say, hey, if you're desperate right now, don't do anything extreme. And basically, it was a suicide prevention message. I didn't go into it planning on doing it. I was planning on sharing basic essentials about the Bible and about Jesus. I want to make Jesus known in my lifetime, and I don't want him to be ignored in the place where God's called me. And that's why I want to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And I want to see what is it? What are the manners, the mannerisms? Walk in a manner worthy. That's the root word for mannerism. So what's, what's the mannerism? Humility. What else? Gentleness. What else? Patience. What else? Tolerance. I tell you, Christians, when they're doing it right, it's marvelous. You become a, become a calling card for the new creation. It's like, what happened to you, man? What, what makes you tick? You know, I was in college. In um, my college composition class, I hate to say this, but I took it three times. This last time I passed. The times I didn't pass was because I kept putting off the work. And I was, a young, I was young, and it was, I was actually gifted at it. So this class, I, I wrote some things, and um, the teacher was a fascinating guy. He gave us an assignment because he was reading all about um, existentialism and these, these, these sort of French philosophers that were very morbid after World War II and this, this sort of dismissiveness, there can't be a God, look what happened to humanity based on all the trauma of World War I and II in Europe. There, you know, it, it's this fatalism and this, this relativism and this sort of a lot of isms. So he wanted us to write a 500-word essay on why life was empty, meaningless, and absurd. And I just couldn't do it. I was a young Christian. I was, I was recently rededicated to the Lord, and I was really on fire. I had experienced being saved and actually not going to church. That's really what did it, actually. I moved from one city to another, and I didn't follow through and go get anchored in a church. That made me susceptible to straying and going back into the world, which I did. But man, God helped me, convicted me, granted me repentance, sent a real Christian to invite me to church. I went to church, got back on track with God, and I'm sitting in this class thinking, how can I do this 
I can't write that life is empty, meaningless, and absurd because I've been raised up to walk in newness of life. He's, been, he's given me every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I've been born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. So I said to him, I went up after class and I said, I can't do this assignment. He said, well, why not? I said, because I don't believe life is empty, meaningless, and absurd. And he looked up at me and said, well, well, what do you believe? I said, I believe life is, is full, meaningful, and abundant. He goes, well, all right, we're right about that then. I said, all right, all right. So I got to write that. I worked on it. I worked on it. I, I had a motivation. It's like, hey, this is three, three strikes and you're out. I got to finish this class. This is part of my, my degree, which I finally got. And I actually had favor with this guy. And I wrote, God helped me to write this article about how Jesus changes a person's life. He got so impacted by it that he actually read it to the class. Then here's this man about my dad's age. And he says, hey, man, I would like to know if you would have lunch with me at the cafeteria. And, and I was like, you know, immediately you start, you know, you see a, you see a police officer in your rearview mirror, you think, how fast am I going? You know, that kind of a thing. You know, the teacher wants to talk to you after class. It's like, trouble. But no, he, he said, I am just always intrigued when somebody has had their life changed. I said, sure. So we went to lunch. He, he asked me all about being saved. You know, he had a big scar gash across his arm that had healed into a big, deep scar. I found out later that his wife had problems and slashed him with a kitchen knife and that, in fact, that man had some serious challenges in his life. This was many, many years ago. But we had a wonderful talk about what can happen if you surrender your life to Jesus. And, man, he was all ears. So here's the teacher asking the student advice about eternal life. And here's Paul saying who in an earlier place said, be followers of me as I am of Christ. And in one occasion he said, I didn't want to just impart the gospel, but our, my own life. In another place he said that you are a living epistle, known and read by all men. So that teacher was actually reading me. He wasn't just reading my assignment. He wasn't just reading my homework. He was reading me. And you are, you might be the only Bible somebody's going to read. So, let your countenance express what's in your heart and let your heart be filled with a, the truth of the gospel. Let Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Get your heart filled with these truths that, yes, God, I can, I can preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Yes, God, I can be an intercessor and break the powers of, of the enemy over a city. Yes, God, I can worship you in spirit and truth and bring honor to you. Yes, I can walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, I can learn how the characteristics of walking in a manner worthy of you. And it pleases you that I understand this newness of life. I'm a new creature. The old things passed away, new things have come. And that's anointed. We preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Right now, there's such a dividing, so much division that the enemy's trying to wheedle in into the earth and into the church and into the nations and we believers have to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. I'm telling you, it's important. And it's got to start in the coffee shop with the lady that's taken four years to buy a cup of coffee with her card. And can't you swipe that card right at least once? You know, I bonded with that lady. I mean, it was hilarious. And then we both went out and we called ourselves out for how long we take at the ATM. As you point one finger, three are coming back. Okay, 
Galatians 5.16 talks about walking by the Spirit. He said, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And that's what I had to do there. And I was using humor to try to lighten it up a little bit. But I immediately acknowledged, this is a challenge of my patience. I went through the airport the other day and a guy confiscated a pen that I had that was a gift. It was a wonderful gift and I had no way out. I just had to let it go and not carry resentment and not get bitter toward him. He's doing his job. You know, I forgot it was in there as a simple ballpoint pen. But anyway, what are you going to do? Freak out? Treat him terribly? Just, oh, well, there are plenty of pens where that came from. And, and he's doing his job, right? All right. Look at this. One of my favorites, Ephesians 5, verse 1. It says, to be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, my son-in-law, Steve, has a little boy, Trent, and he's like little Steve, and he is a sweet little kid, and he just, he just bonds with his dad, you know, and like father, like son, you know, and, and he loves his mom too, you know, but when you're a beloved child and you know you're accepted by your parent, you just, you learn from them. You know, with my wife, she had a very sp- exceptional mother, and I see aspects of her Uh, Long after she's gone, I see those characteristics in my wife. And I'm really really blessed with it because it makes me realize what a blessing she was and the impact she made. And see, God gets on us and he raises us up to walk in newness of life. He's gifted us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He, He makes us a brand new creation. And he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is at work in you. God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So in other words, all these extreme responsibilities Christians have, he calls us to, which we can't do in our own strength, yet he gets on the inside of us, he empowers us, he gives us his word, he lays it all out to us, he strengthens us, not by might, not by power, but by his spirit, saith the Lord. And he will help you, and he will help me, and he will help us to mature and to grow up in all aspects into Jesus. Wow. And one of the ways we do it is walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Everybody say walk in love. I'm telling you, that's probably one of the most, walk by faith is important, but The Bible says these three abide, faith, hope, and love, but actually the greatest of these is love. See, if I had faith to move mountains, but I didn't have love, I'd be nothing. If I had a heart to give and I gave everything for the less fortunate and I didn't have love, it would profit me nothing. Love is the hinge point, and that's the cornerstone of this point about walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called and walk in love. And when you walk in love, again, it's empathy. You're walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. You're considerate. You're thinking about the variables of it. And it helps you to tone down when you get impatient. It helps you to back off when you get prideful and you need to humble yourself. It helps you to be tolerant and factor in some mercy. One time we were buying some hand towels at a now defunct department store. And the clerk was just, she was irritable and harsh and uh and I uh I, I was kind of you know I caught eyes with my wife it was like the lady was was being harsh you know we're just trying to buy some hand towels and 
And we weren't being antagonistic. We're just like, you know, can you help us show us where the hand towels are? And she just had a, and my wife immediately said, uh, she's going through something right now. Uh, immediately, instead of me going, where's the manager? You know, she was like, what is the Lord saying in this moment? She, she started to factor in and look, in it, look after and walk in love and walk in the spirit instead of the flesh. And so at the cash register as we were buying, my wife said, is everything okay? And she looked up at her. Her lips started to quiver a little bit. A tear formed in her eye. And she just started to spill the beans about the, the hard situation um, that she had just gone through. And it was, it was pretty significant. And uh, so, so instead of being offended and irritated, she, my wife got empathetic and started to realize the moment and seized upon it and got to give some encouragement to the lady. In fact, listen to what it says here in verse 29 of chapter 4. It says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now, when I was in line in the, the coffee shop, I had a lot of things going on, like, Patsy, why did you want coffee right now when this lady, I have this lady up here who's going for 45 minutes with her credit card? And then, and I, so I'm going through some stuff there. And that lady kept going, <sighs> and looking around, <sighs> and even with a mask on, it was a trip. And she was looking for a companion. And I thought, oh man, I cannot go there. So I, so I started joking. Hey, we're checking. Hey, we're growing in patience. How's your patience level? My patience. But you know what? Actually, it worked. Because uh, she got less huffy. I didn't act like a jerk. We're both still mad at that lady, but in a good and loving way. <laughs> she might be watching right now. Hey, we love you, man. You made this sermon. Uh, you know? Hallelujah. <laughs> but we were actually able to help each other out. And instead of, you know, heightening um, the situation, we kind of light, lightened the situation. You can heighten the situation or you can lighten the situation. And that's where you let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. And, and, and you know, it's easy to get negative, man. So we've got to always be searching for that word of tolerance, that word of humility, that word of gentleness, that word of patience, right? Especially today, guys, especially now, especially now. I'm telling you, man. Ephesians 5.15 says it this way about walking carefully, circumspectly. It's actually cautiously. It says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Why? Making the most of your time because the days are evil. This was written about 90 AD. This is the substance of what was coming out in the Mediterranean area. Paul the Apostle is preaching to a culture, the Greek and Roman thing, with all of its hedonism and trippiness and weirdness and idolatry, paganism, and he's introducing the truth of the law, the prophets, and the promise of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're turning to God from idols. And in Ephesus, 
the main focal point of idolatry was a woman named Diana of the Ephesians. She was a fertility goddess, and they were tripped out over her. She was the main idol, the principal idol of this idolatry, idol worship. And it was sophisticated. And Paul confronted it. And here are these people that escape falsehood and enter into and embrace truth. It's like that guy that said he was an atheist. He starts to walk in newness of life. I talked to a guy who was an agnostic. You know, I don't know. I don't. And he, his wife died. And I had been talking to him about Jesus. And he had just given his life to the Lord in the context of her cancer. And when I told him that it was before the coroner came or anybody from uh, law enforcement or, or anybody from the funeral home or anything like that, he called me. I, I went to the house. And I had been ministering to her. She, I said, yeah, she's passed. And he grabbed me by the shoulders. And he said, I know there's a God because he's comforting me right now. I'm telling you, that was one of the greatest, saddest moments and greatest moments at the same time. Isn't that amazing? Jesus comes in and turns a person's life around and raises us up to walk in newness of life. And that's what the guy said at the hardware store. He told my son, he said, you know the big deal is that we're a new creation in Christ. He was talking about how he wants to come to church, you know. And I thought, yeah, he's right. That is a signature revelation. You know that truth. That truth will set you free. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we're to walk in newness of life. We're to walk by faith. We're to walk by the Spirit. We're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, which is consistency. We're to walk in love. We're to walk circumspectly. Be careful how you walk. And we walk in the light. And then lastly, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. And I'm going to close with this. We're learning what is pleasing to the Lord. And we're learning not to walk any longer as the Gentiles who also walk in the futility of their minds, darkened, excluded, ignorant, hardened, callous, given over to sensuality, impurity, and greediness. He said, you did not learn Christ in this way. So what have we learned? We've learned that he starts us off in a new creation life, and we end up with it as we walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And here's how we do it. First John chapter 2, verse 6, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Paul said, be followers of me as I am of Christ. I was talking to a pastor friend that I went to Bible school with, and we were both ex expressing to each other how much of a blessing it was for us to have people that were good examples of taking on these characteristics and exemplifying them. And actually endeavoring to walk by faith, to walk in love, to walk in the spirit, to walk cautiously, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. They modeled it for us. So here we are all these years later with that deeply embedded as an example. And this is why I think this is so important right now. One time a, a movie came out and some friends were visiting from out of town. And uh, the woman spoke at my wife's ladies breakfast and it was a big, big thing and and I was assigned to go and uh, get seats for the, this movie. We we're going to watch a movie later and, and hang out. That we love to watch movies together. So it's actually one of the Star Wars movies that came out years ago. And um, 
As it turns out, it really wasn't worth waiting in the line. But anyway, I did. But what I did is I called ahead and I said, what's the policy for holding seats? And the manager, I got the manager on the phone. The manager said, okay, well, what you do is if you come and you're in line, then you can save the seats. If there's one person, you can save this many seats. So I said, okay, great. So I I waited in line for two hours because it was an opening weekend, you know. So I got into the movie theater, and I had a jacket, and I laid it down, and all this. And a guy came in with his family with kids, got real aggressive with me, bowed up on me, said, hey, move these out. I'm gonna... and, and I said, well, excuse me, sir, but I, I, I was saving the seats. Well, you can't save seats. I said, well, I, I, I mean, I had called it, and he was getting it, he was bowing up on me. And the movie theater was at this point getting filled. So I said, sir, let's just go talk to the manager. And uh, yeah, all right. So we got up, we walked out. And, I, and the manager, by the way, he said, he looked at and, I, and we were explaining ourselves, you know. I was actually looking to the manager as an arbiter because I didn't want it to escalate because this guy was getting aggressive. So I talked to the manager. I said, hey, look, I, you know, I, I didn't want to fight with this guy. I was just saving my seats. Well, yeah, you can't save seats. And he, and he said, and so I said, I called here, and this is what I was told. He goes, well, actually, that is our policy, so he's right, and you can't. And then he looked at both, and the guy was all upset, red face. And, and he looked at both of us and he said, guys, it's just a movie. I know, it was like shrinking, you know. So then I walked back and sat down and he was, he was just, a, and his wife was all shut down and his kids were all shut down. It was a, it was a bad deal. And I, the, the whole time I was watching the movie, I was like thinking about, I'm glad this guy didn't get in a fight over this, you know. Well, about a year and a half later, my wife and I were out to lunch down the street and I was in the parking lot at the restaurant. You remember this? And while I was standing there, this gentleman came up with his wife, and he said, hey, my name is so-and-so. I'm the pastor of such-and-such Lutheran church somewhere, and I was in the movie theater when all that happened about a year and a half ago. And I went, and I was trying to remember <laughs> how I did, you know, how, what manner with which I was walking. So I said, uh, how did I do? And he said, man, it was amazing. You know, so I was like, Thank you. At least that time I passed the test. And I'm praying that you pass every test. And the way you can do it is humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance. Say it. Humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance. Easy said than, easier said than done, but we need to get it down into our spirit. And, and we need to be those people that calm the crowd instead of agitate it. We need to be the people that are peacemakers and peacekeepers rather than agitators, right? Heavenly Father, I thank you that true peace has come. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men is possible because Jesus raises us up to walk in newness of life. Heavenly Father, I pray that whoever's watching this right now, if they're not reconciled to God, you would grant them repentance. They would be willing to change. They would lay aside old mindsets, old unbelief and and doubt and fear and resistance and resentment and give their lives to Jesus Christ and be saved. God, if there are people who are away from God, away from church, they're out of the rhythm, they're out of their momentum, and they need to come back to the Lord, I pray for a rededication and a renewal starting this second. And God, if there are people that have just felt like failures, felt oppressed, felt the bondages of life, I pray those chains would break off and those demonic oppressions would leave in the name of Jesus. 
And God, I pray you help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Amen.